Good to go. Good morning, everybody. I hope that you all had a lovely weekend, that you all got some rest, that no one had any trouble with what's going on at the moment. Like usual, this is uh, Julien. I'm doing my morning chat, talking about some good news, bringing up some questions and answering them for people who ask them. Like usual, if you have any questions, just comment below, put them in, I'll answer anything that I possibly can. And if I can't answer it right away, then I'll just stock it and then I'll answer it in the next episode on Wednesday. So the weather today, 11 degrees in Amsterdam, 12 degrees in Brussels, 12 degrees in London, 15 degrees in Paris and 12 degrees in Bucharest. It's looking like a nice day just about everywhere. The sun's shining, the sky's blue, so we all have something to be cheerful about. Now, some good news coming just about everywhere at the moment, so... First of all, New Zealand, according to all the charts and graphs that I could find, and specifically the ones on the uh, Financial Times website, New Zealand appears to have just annihilated the curve to the point that it seems to have broken the Financial Times charts. China have also reported zero new coronavirus deaths, I think, yesterday or over the last two days, which is good news overall. Norway is starting to reopen schools now, being a bit ahead of the rest of the European Union in terms of fixing things. And both Austria and Germany are well underway in the first phase of post-lockdown measures. People are starting to be able to find some normalcy in their lives. People are able to, you know, go shopping. And in some countries such as France, people are even being allowed to start visiting their, their loved ones in retirement homes. I mean, overall, things are looking up, things are looking positive, things are looking better for just about everyone. Most people are coming down, well, most countries are coming down on the other side of the curve, particularly the major ones such as Italy, Spain, France, uh, the UK, and even the US. So it's good news overall. Things are looking up, and we can look forward to hopefully some better things coming down the line soon. Now, to the first question that I had, someone asked me, is Emmanuel Macron popular in France? Now, this is a very popular, uh, like, this is a very popular question. I've had this a couple of times over the last few weeks and didn't really want to answer it too soon, but I've had it enough now that I'm going to answer it. And it's also a complicated one because it depends on a number of different measures that are quite complicated. I mean, mea culpa, I... Uh, I voted for Emmanuel Macron myself. I uh, do some work with his party En Marche, so particularly in the local groups. did some work in London for them and I did some work here in Amsterdam with the local groups. And honestly, the answer to whether Macron is popular or not is very, very tough to answer because if you look strictly at polling, he is he tends to be very unpopular. And it's only very recently with the reactions to the coronavirus and the measures put in place and the fact that he was able to portray himself as a uh, warlike leader at a time of great crisis and the fact that he was able to put into place and utilize his communicative skills. He started to become more popular with the current approval rating being stuck at about 43% approval as of the 28th of March. And this is a poll that was done by IFOP. Now, this was up from a previous poll on the 25th of January, where he only had a 30% approval, and he was hovering in the 
mid-20s, early 30s range of approval ratings for a while now. Primarily because of the fact that he has been driving a lot of very difficult reforms that a lot of people don't agree with, particularly the issues with um, workers' rights, as well as the liberalisation of um, the workplace in France, and the general unpopularity in France of these we'll say reformists ideals because in my personal view and I think that a lot of experts on French politics would agree French people tend to be quite resistant to change that's just how it is that's how the politics in France is because there's always a fear that there's always the fear of the tyrants almost and this is something that's I could argue would be instilled in us from a young age due to our education, the way that we are taught about the, the French Revolution and the old monarchies and republican ideals. Now, France tends to be a, a fairly socialist country when it comes to social policy as well. And this is why things and actions and policies that lead to a sort of What's perceived as a reduction in social rights and a reduction in social power does have a direct impact on the way people react to certain presidencies. And I mean, for example, if we look at, how can we say this? If we look at Francois Hollande, for example, he was the, pre the previous socialist president who won the election in 2012 and was president until Macron came into power. And he came into power on a very strong socialist policy platform, where was he was the one who increased tax rates on um, rich individuals above a certain amount to 75% of their wealth, for example. And he attempted to push through a lot of reforms to ensure that people were able to get more support for the states. And these were relatively popular mostly damaged by the fact that he was an incredibly uninspiring president and was seen very poorly to the point that people started nicknaming him Flan. The issue with his presidency and what torpedoed his opinion ratings completely was the fact that he he ended up pushing through a number of laws that would have reformed the way the working system would have functioned and the way employees would have behaved, primarily pushed by and developed by current President Emmanuel Macron when he was the finance minister. He, this saw his approval ratings dip down into, I think it was like 7% or 8%, which is unheard of in France. Or maybe a bit higher than that, but it was very severe. It was possibly the worst ratings anybody had ever seen in a president since World War II, I believe, or as long as the records ran. Now, this was mostly down to the fact that despite the fact that he had pushed for policies that were beneficial to French society in terms of benefits and these kind of issues, just the fact that he decided that he wanted to change the way people's working rights would function, the way I, f I believe there was some tentative move towards some kind of pension reform as well, just it's not only took his already pre-existing bad image, but torpedoed it completely. And this is something that tends to happen in France because as time has gone on, politicians have become less and less popular. There is a there is a question in France about whether or not conspiratorial thinking 
impact it is and whether France has always just had a, a problem with populism, we could argue. I mean, ever since um, uh, Le Pen ended up getting into the second round of the elections in, I believe it was 2002 against um, Chirac. But right now, Macron isn't popular. This is how I'd say it. There is a there is the question of how much impact are people like um, Jean-Luc Mélenchon, uh, Le Pen again, the uh, Républicains. So when Wauquiez was uh, the president of Republicans, there was a lot of combative discourse towards Macron. There's been a lot of efforts in a sort of free-for-all trying to get Macron taken down before the next elections came about. And this may have had an impact on the way these the public views him, particularly throughout the Gilets Jaunes um, saga where a lot of individuals were, I don't want to say spreading fake news, but they were misrepresenting what was happening. So for example, there was this idea that despite police officers defending themselves when they were having Molotov cocktails thrown at them and bricks thrown at them and being assaulted, that uh, it wasn't just the, um, the police officers defending themselves, but it was Macron specifically ordering the um, the police to attack protesters as a sort of suppressive move, which wasn't the case at all, but, you know, it's easy to twist these things. Aside from this, I could see... I'll tack on to this. Could Macron become more popular in France? Uh, this, this mandate, I don't see that happening. If Macron manages to win the next presidential elections in 2022 then there's a good chance that with the results that we're going to start seeing from his reforms, from the economic benefits that are already being made apparent to people who pay attention to these things. And when these start being transmitted more towards the public and, you know, we're not seeing a... Uh, we're not seeing successive problems like the gilets jaunes and then the coronavirus, which is going to damage the economy... Macron could become more popular as he becomes a bit more, starts showing a bit more of his liberal credentials, starts showing a bit more that he has cared for the French people, that he has, you know, supported some socialist initiatives, that he has reached out to other parties, that he has been working with all actors involved. Then we may see a popularity increase for Macron, but I'm still sceptical. I still think that the French population do have a a problem with Macron, not just in the way he behaves, but also the way he talks and the way he his discourse comes across, where it's very elitist and is very too clean. But that's something that we may that we'll have to see as it comes, and we'll have to visit this, you know, in a year, in two years, in three years, if he's still president after the elections. We need to just investigate and just look at the data we can. Now, the next topic that I was asked was. Could Labour have won the December 2019 British general election? This is even more complicated for reasons that I'm sure everybody understands. I mean, we can have a look at the way in which there are several measures that could help us explore this. So, first of all, Jeremy Corbyn's general unpopularity whether that was just through the fact that he is, his behaviour wasn't the best, whether he, because of the fact that he had a very bizarre history when it came to extremist factions, 
whether this was just purely a an effect of the um, we'll say the the British media having a big problem and with him and also the way that they have quite a big a lot of power when it comes to British politics. And there's also the fact that there was all the infighting with Labour, the way Jeremy Corbyn supporters behaved, the way a lot of factions interacted from inside Labour with external factions. And, I mean, there are a number of podcasts being done right now that are sort of dissecting the uh, the, the multitude of failures of the Labour Party, specifically Jeremy Corbyn's leading faction in it. And how this impacted the way Labour ran this election campaign. However, from my personal view, the Labour could have won the December 2019 general election. However, there was no way for it to win, in my view, at any point in 2019. It couldn't have done anything to win at any point. Because by that point, it was too far gone. You had a... There were too many problems internally, and first of all, you had this, the bizarre civil war that happened when it came to the um, people who supported Brexit or the people who supported Remain, and the effect that this had on Labour's reputation was one of the most damaging things, in my view, not because of the fact that I'm pro-European and I support Remain and all these topics, but... The fact that the the argument there was constantly about how they could best play both sides and come out of this well. The, the way that a lot of Labour supporters attacked sort of Remain factions who were trying to push the... Um, push a positive discourse to sort of win back voters from the Lib Dems, win back pro-Europeans from other parties, and also at the same time trying to showcase to conservative supporters that they would have been, that they had policies that they would agree with and that they didn't want to sort of spit on the vote of Brexiteers who then were gravitating towards the Conservative Party regardless of the Brexit Party. That was a problem. Um, there was the problem where the commentariat that was coming out of the Labour Party were also being incredibly aggressive towards just about everybody. And there was a big... There was a bunker mentality that was prevalent in the way Labour were comporting themselves that put them in a position where they were always on the defensive, they were never on the offensive... And this could be seen in uh, Prime Minister's questions every Wednesday where the Labour Party and their supporters, and specifically Jeremy Corbyn, were always on the back foot. They were always reacting to things. They were very rarely proactive on topics and they were very rarely able to catch the Conservatives out, whether that was Theresa May, whether that was Boris Johnson towards the end, whether that was any minister who stood in at any point. They were simply not able to really combat them on an effective level in the way that, say, the Scottish Nationalist Party or the, um, the Lib Dems on occasion managed to do. Now, the ways they could have won, 
and obviously this is uh, this is just hypotheticals but if they had made more of an effort to just take a position and just say look this is our position this is in the best interest of the country we're going to stick by this at all costs and this is just what we're going to do that's it then they may have had a chance of looking less wishy-washy on the fence to general voters if if there had been more attempts at reunification and unity internally, whether that was Remainers trying to take out Jeremy Corbyn multiple times, whether that was uh, the leavers in the fact of the party not constantly taking pot shots at Keir Starmer or Tom Watson, whether that was through just not doing what Labour tends to do and having its fights out in public, these would have all contributed to Labour Party looking more serious as a as an electoral force, looking more attractive to the public, and not looking more amateur compared to the Conservatives. Because the one thing that Conservatives do well, with the exception of the borderline civil war where the um, European Research Group were living off of the attention they were getting from that situation, the Conservatives are good at dealing with their problems internally. And they do this... They do this constantly. They, they, they manage to deal with all their problems internally, with the exception of the Brexit situation, which they even then still managed to come out looking better than the Labour Party. Ultimately, I don't think they could have won the way they were. It was just not possible. There were too many fights that popped up. They were always getting into arguments with the Conservatives. They were getting hammered by the Lib Dems and the Lib Dems fight towards that was a completely different mess entirely and ultimately I don't think there was any way that any party could have won aside from the Conservatives or aside from there being a hung parliament past I would say the late 2018 stage mid 2019 actually yeah even the I put a hard line in the late 2018 by that point the the Conservatives were looking better than everybody else. And I'd say that the um, the Lib Dems' surge in the polling was an anomaly, straight up. Now, what is my favourite topic in the field of politics? Hands down, it would probably be a combination of European affairs and foreign affairs. Now, European affairs for me is the most fascinating thing in politics right now. The different, the different points, the different moving mechanisms, the different ways that the institutions work with each other, the ways the member states work with each other, the way the grassroots in each country collaborate and the way that the parliamentary system in Europe functions, for me is possibly one of the most fascinating things in politics and will be for a while. It's just, it's simply the level of impact that the European Union has and that European affairs has on daily lives. If we're looking at roaming charges, if we're looking at GDPR, if we're looking at sanitary regulations, if we're looking at the way politics is run at a European level, if we're talking about the way that this filters down towards the member states, towards the regions, which a lot of people aren't aware of, there are regions to the European Union that aren't, that are distinct to the member states. This is fascinating. The way all of these levels interact, that is possibly one of my favourite things in the field of politics right now. I mean, even though I would recommend everybody look up the Committee of the Regions, it is one of the most fascinating organisations that came out of the European Union, in my view. 
the way they interact with local actors and businesses and organizations across the EU is fascinating. The way that they interact with one another is once again just amazing. Then on top of that, you have the European Parliament, how they represent their constituents, how they function at the national level, the possible reforms that we could run for the European Parliament to make it more democratic, even if I believe that there is no democratic deficit at the level of the EU. It's, I, th I think it's one of the most fascinating things, and it's possibly one of my favourite topics. However, aside from this, this is also tied with my interest in foreign affairs, because all that is international relations, all that is conflict resolution, all that is international politics, military security politics, the the way actors use their economic powers or normative powers to influence other states, the way that these countries are influencing one another to draw them closer and then push them away from other states, it's just, it's a field that's ever moving and it's one of the fields that is the most fascinating in the field of politics. I mean, some people really like economics, some people like policy governance, some people like local governance, and some people like just straight up national national elections. But for me, this is just really... These two topics are what, for me, keep me going when it comes to politics. They're the things that always attract me back to the topic. They're the things that always get me back. They're the things that always make me want to do things and keep me interested in politics. Now... That's the end of the questions. I believe we've just hit the 20-minute mark. So what I'll say is thank you, everybody, for turning in. It is always a pleasure to answer the people's questions. So, you know, please, if you have any questions, send them in. I'm always happy to listen to any questions that people may have and to answer the questions that they may have. Now, if you want to send in questions, you can send them to me via Facebook. You can send them to me via Twitter. You can send them to me via youtube even you can send them to me via email just send them in if you have any questions i will happily answer them and i will possibly do a session in french this week because i've had a few people asking me why i'm not doing any in french and i'd like to but overall you know thank you very much everybody for tuning in i really appreciate your time um you know follow me on twitter follow me on instagram follow me on facebook follow me on here and I hope you guys all have a lovely afternoon. I hope you have a lovely day. And I will see you all on Wednesday. So yeah, take care.